Today, I'm chatting with Anna Dalziel about working with SLPAs and paraprofessionals, providing play-based speech therapy and assessment, and building relationships with parents. You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy, so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here is your host, author, AAC specialist, and matcha tea lover, Vanita Litvak. She and her guests are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow along on Instagram at Speechy Side Up. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today, I'm joined by speech language pathologist and TPT author, Anna Daziel. Anna specializes in severe speech and language delays in children ages three to six. Hey, Anna. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm so glad to have you on today. Why don't we paint a picture for the listeners who are not familiar with you and give them some background information. Tell them about who you are, what you do today, and how you got there. Sure. So as you said, my name is Anna and I'm a speech language pathologist. I have been practicing for 13 years, which I thought it was 12 today until I thought about (laughs) what I was going to say on here. So 13, which is crazy. Um, I work with kids ages three to six, and I'm a private contractor to the school board um, in my town. So I work with kids in their homes, as well as in the schools. So I see kids every two weeks, and those visits kind of rotate. And in each of my visits, there is either a paraprofessional or the parent that's um, watching me, and I'm teaching them and coaching them, and then they're implementing therapy between our sessions. And I have worked in a variety of different settings. I've worked in an early intervention program. I've worked for our local health unit. I have done teletherapy back 10 years ago before it was popular. Um, And I feel like just private practice was always calling me so that I could have the flexibility to be with my family. I love it. And you're in Canada, right? That's right. Way up north. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you said that you work with SLPAs and paraprofessionals. What is it like working with them? How do you collaborate? What are your tips for collaboration? Okay. So, I mean, like with anything, I've had really, really good experiences. I've had good experiences and I've had not so great experiences. Um, And I've learned a lot along the way. So I've worked with um, SLPAs and paraprofessionals for about seven years now, and I've learned a lot. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to really value them. Not that I didn't before, uh, but maybe I didn't show it as much as I did. So really listening to what they have to say about what the child can and can't do in their everyday environment. Because when I see students, I'm often seeing them in a one-on-one environment. And as we know, what they can do there is not always what they can do in the classroom. Um, And that's the same with parents. And then I also, the other big tip, is asking them what they need. So because the paras and the SLPAs and parents are doing therapy in between our visits, it's important, I have found, to ask them what they need from me. So do you need me to give you more activities to work on at home? Do you need me to model a specific strategy more? Um, that Those are kind of the two big tips. And some other little tips is really having them observe you. And because I've had some 
sometimes they don't want to stay in the sessions. They just want me to pull the kids out and do the therapy. But it's really important to kind of set that precedent from the get-go that, well, no, like when you come watch me, it's going to be easier for you to do your job. Um, and then really taking the time to explain the goals because a lot of the paras that I work with, they're not trained as SLPAs and they've never done any speech and language therapy. So really explaining those goals and kind of giving a rundown of what even speech and language the difference between them and how we treat them. So yeah, that's kind of my tips that I've learned along the way. I love those. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really important. And I know that you value play-based speech therapy and assessment. So tell us your tips for that. Yes, I am 100% a play-based therapist. Um, and by play-based, so I don't know, I've kind of made my own definition as to what I think play-based therapy is. Um, so play-based therapy to me is when the opportunities for language and speech practice come intrinsically in the activity. So, and because to me, we, we're, we talk all the time, we should be able to do that in any activity, right? Like that's kind of how I, I take it. So I will take any activity that it may be and I will tailor it to that student. So I don't take the student and find activities for them. I take the activity and make it work for the student. And that's how I make play-based therapy work for me. And it's almost no prep. Um, so I have a theme that I use for the month and I see 75 kids, and I will use it with all of the kids. So in that theme, they are, there's three different books, and there are books for really little learners, so maybe a board book. There's books for um, kiddos that are a little bit higher functioning, so um, with a couple sentences on a page, and then for my older kindergarten kiddos, uh, longer text stories that go with the theme. So then I just kind of pick the book based on the child's need, and then I always have a couple games, a couple toys for some pretend play, and then some gross motor activities as well. Um, so I can give you an example. So ooh, I'm gonna think of this off the top of my head now. So this month we were doing monsters. So we would start off the session by reading a story and whatever the child's goal may be, let's say it was S blends. I would find five S blend words that I can model in that story. Uh, and they're not always 100% in the story, <clears throat> excuse me. I just find that I can kind of think of them on the fly. So maybe it'll be, we're going to read a story and get the child to say story. We stomp our feet every time we flip a page, whatever it may be, so that the words that we're practicing are intrinsic to that activity. Then we might move to feed the woozle, which is a game where there's this hungry little monster and he wants to eat snacks. So we spin our spinner, we stomp our feet to get there, we feed him a snack, um, he's smiling because he's happy. And then we may, we will do a craft where we're making Play-Doh monsters, we're smushing the Play-Doh, we are making the monsters stand up, we're making them small. And then at the end, we will do a gross motor activity where we put monster feet on the ground and we stomp to find the different feet and we say a different S blend word on the foot. So that would kind of be an example of, I just made that up off the top of my head. I hope that was okay. Sorry. Um, did you really? I'm be, very impressed. <laughs> I really, I really did. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I had an, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what maybe a play-based session for S blends would look like. And then you could alter that activity. So if you were working on, let's just say possessive S, then you could talk about the pictures in the book 
We could talk about that it's the monster's snack. We could talk about whose feet they are. When you're making your monster Play-Dohs, you could talk about each part of the body of the monster and who it belongs to. So really just taking any activities that you may have and tailoring it for your students. So that's how I make play-based therapy work for me. And some of the strategies for speech sounds to get the kiddos to say it, because I know I've talked a lot about this um, on my Instagram and people have messaged, how do you get so many trials when you're doing a play-based approach? And I've kind of just taught, I don't know, I've kind of just figured this out is that if you use those early language stimulating strategies, you're going to get a lot of productions. So I might say to the student, um, do you want a small eye or a sparkly eye? And then they have to answer. And right there, they're going to use that S blend if that's what we're working on by giving choices. Um, waiting. So you may say, oh, we're going to make the monster, the monster size is going to be very and then they have to fill it in um, with small. And then modeling, modeling, modeling. If you're using the same words within the activity a whole bunch of times, the student will eventually just start repeating it after you. So I actually find I get more productions in play-based therapy because the student is way more engaged than doing more of a drill, um, a drill type therapy. So sorry, I have a lot to say about that topic. <laughs> no, I love it. I think those are very, very helpful tips. <laughs> and you have a TPT store too. So <laughs> Like, do you want to talk about some of your like most popular products that maybe encourage play-based therapy? Yes. So all of the products that I have that are for therapy and not for assessing are play-based. So by that, I mean, again, I've created the product with lots of goals in mind. So my interactive stories, my interactive and repetitive stories have been a really good seller. They feature really simple, repetitive text. And on every page, the student completes the page by there are some manipulatives that you can move. So in one of the stories, there's poop. So the animal in the story has pooped and you have to put the poop on. Uh, really good for that uh, constant vowel mm -hmm. word shape. There's little bumblebees in one, cookies for monsters, different things. So those have been great um, with lots of different goals you can target. And then I also have some play-based sets. So it comes with all the props that you would need and then tons of activities for how to target a bunch of different language and speech schools. So there's one for Halloween, which I know is seasonal. And then there's one called Puppies and Play-Doh. So the only materials that you need is Play-Doh. And if you want, you could have bone-shaped cookie cutters. And it kind of goes over how you can work on a ton of different language goals with just that, like with just that material. So um, I, those have been really good um, popular sellers, as well as there's a play-based language assessment, which there's um, manipulatives. And then there's also a form on how to elicit different language structures, <clears throat> as well as following um, receptive language skills. And, and then there's also the age norms on it as a form. So I find this really nice for those kids who don't want to engage in standardized testing, which is like 95% of kids. <laughs> um, it really kind of helps you get an idea of what they can and can't do in a more no pressure kind of environment. And it also gives you lots of opportunities for um, getting lots of trials, not just in a standardized test where you often only get one. And I find that often the students don't understand the question and then they can't really show me if they can use the language. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. Mm -hmm. I think people will, especially the play-based assessment, if they're looking for something like that, they're going to be happy to know that that's available. Um, so yeah. You said that you also work with parents sometimes. How do you build relationships with parents? So I think the first thing I always say to parents when they come into the therapy room is I know speech and you know your child. 
And I feel like that right off the bat sets such a good tone because parents feel valued and they feel like we're partners, not that I'm just going to come and tell them what to do. I feel as a parent, there's constant pressure and demands being placed on you by, oh my goodness, by everything, right? By just all the time. So I think that when you can create that partnership and that liaisoning is um, definitely the foundation to working with parents. And again, it's very similar to working with SLPAs is really asking them what they want, right? So do you, do you want homework every day? Do you want to just watch me do it? What, what strategies do you want to use at home? What areas are you struggling in? So when I first graduated, I would just set up a program. I'd send it home. I tell parents <laughs> before I had kids to work half an hour to 45 minutes every day, because that's, that's reasonable, right? Anyways, um, and just setting those kind of realistic expectations. So now parents may say, oh, we're really struggling with for example, transitioning. We're struggling from transitioning from screen time to dinner time. And then we'll talk about strategies on how to do that. And I'll support them with visuals. Um, that way, instead of being like, well, my target for this student is working on S blends, right? Um, I find you're going to get more buy-in and more follow-through at home if you're actually listening to the parent and kind of providing them with the things that they actually want to work on. And then, of course, we have to use our clinical um, knowledge and, and educate parents on why certain things may be important to work on. But um, I think that's a good starting point anyhow. Yeah. Great tips. I love what you said. I know speech and you know your child. I think that's so important and such a great way to set the precedence from, from the beginning. Do you wish someone could just write your evaluation reports for you? Doesn't it feel like all speech and language referrals happen at the same time? Just when you think you're finally caught up, bam, another referral comes in. Although I don't have someone who can write your report for you, I do know someone who developed a resource to make report writing easier. Jason Gonzalez, a pediatric OT of more than 18 years, worked in many school districts and found that report writing was a pain point for almost all therapists. That's why he created Double Time Docs to help you write reports quicker. All you have to do is answer multiple choice, fill in and short answer questions, and voila, your fully written speech and language evaluation report is generated automatically. No more copying and pasting, which means reduced errors like pronouns or incorrect names. You get to tailor the final report to your client and cut your report writing time in half. Evaluation reports can take more than three hours on average to write. You can keep wishing you had someone to write your reports, or you can try double time and actually finish your reports quickly. No more writing reports after work or on vacation, and no more hiding when someone brings you a new referral. Find out why thousands of individual SLPs and teams are using the software and experience their highly rated customer service firsthand for yourself. Visit bit.ly slash double time docs to try double time docs for free for 30 days. If you love the trial, don't forget to use the code SPEECHY3 towards one free doc credit when you sign up for the subscription. So you, you know, you have your social media going. How do you recommend <laughs> SLPs stay true to themselves as a professional on social media? You know, this is something I struggle with a lot because, <laughs> because I am a very sarcastic very goofy. I swear a lot. I like to laugh and I find it 
it can be challenging to go on social media because I don't want to present myself as fake because then anybody watching it that knows me is going to be like, who is this lady? <laughs> um, so it's <laughs> right. Like, um, so I think I kind of, my little mantra is like, passion is what is the most desired quality in people. That's been proven time and time. I've read that a hundred times in a different places. So I really try to not fake it. So if there's something that I'm not passionate about, I don't talk about it. That's pretty much how that's kind of has been really helpful to me. Um, and if there's something that I obviously don't feel is super professional to share, I also don't share, um, share that. I just feel like sharing what you're passionate about and leave out what you're not passionate about is the best way is the best way to go. And uh, you can stay true to yourself that way. And then I also feel that it engages your followers because you're not boring. <laughs> Because you can't, you can't fake passion. People can see that a mile away. So there are certain areas in speech and language that I am not passionate about. And I will be very open, like feeding and swallowing is not an area that I'm passionate about. So I'm not going to talk about that because I would probably make people cry and boredom because I just don't <laughs> enjoy it. But working with preschoolers, I obviously, as you saw my huge rant about play-based therapy, I could talk about that forever because I'm so, so passionate about it. So, Yeah. No, it's so true. And I think that in not only passion, but personality types, like you have to be yourself because like you said, if your family members or friends are watching, they're going to be like, who is this person? <laughs> um, but not only that, like you're going to attract people that are like you and like that sense of humor. And then, yeah, you might turn away people that don't, but that's not your people. You know, like I had a really hard time. Like I admire people that are hilarious and very sarcastic. My husband is one of those people. I am not. I tried hard in the beginning with social media. And I was like, you know what, Benita, like you might just not be one of those funny people and that's okay. Like, and I found my voice and just kind of went with that. And I think like you said, the passion shows through and I attract the type of people that like my personality and then, you know, the people that don't, that's okay. There's other people for them to follow. So I love that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, totally. So if you're I'm not your cup of tea. It might be someone else. Like, you, you know what I mean? You can go find someone else that's going to speak to you because you can't pretend to be somebody that you're not because either way, you're not everyone's going to like you no matter who you, <laughs> what you're trying to portray, right? Yeah. So you might as well just be you because it's too exhausting to try to please everyone. I gave up on that so long ago. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, speaking truth this morning. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I would love for people to get to know you a little bit more. So let's jump into our getting to know you questions. Unless there was anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about. No, I think I did a pretty good job rambling about everything I wanted to say. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So let's start. Maybe with... a little nervous. Maybe. <laughs> no, you, you were very succinct. <laughs> let's talk about, I bet you have some really good, stories or therapy fails. Do you have any that you want to share? <laughs> yeah. So in my first year, it was actually when I was still a student and I was being supervised. I went into a session. <laughs> I don't, I'm really perseverating on S-Blends today, but to work on S-Blends. I planned the session because, you know, when you're a student, you have tons of time for prep and you only have like you do two sessions a week. So I don't know how I managed to mess this up. But anyway, so I went in and we like did S-Blends with this kid. And I'm like, wow, like he's doing awesome. Like I kept looking at my supervisor through the 
two-way mirror, like thumbs upping. I'm like, this is awesome. So I did the session. And then at the end, she's like, so, so you were working with Johnny today, right? I'm like, yeah, Johnny Esplan. She's like, yeah, Johnny's goals are K and G. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, that would be why he was crushing S-blends today because I targeted not his goal. And not only that, I was like showboating how awesome he was doing to my supervisor through the two years. So yeah, that was probably the most memorable targeting the wrong goal for the whole session and not cluing in. So I've never done that again, at least not to my own knowledge. So yeah, that was probably the funniest one. <laughs> awesome. And I love that you were so proud. Like, look what he did. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think we can all relate to that, especially when you're doing like group sessions, it can get really confusing, especially in the beginning. <laughs> Wait, whose goal is this again? Of and course. You did really well with those sounds. Why did they write that goal for you? And then you realize like, oh, it was a medial position or final position. Right. So now my little strategies, I have post-its in every student's file that I put out in front of them like towards me, but facing me so I can see what, and then I just put it back in the folder and bring it back out again. Every time I need to use it, That's it works. <laughs> That's good. I love that. <laughs> so what are three things that you can't work without? Okay. I'm always holding a coffee or a bottle of water. So coffee until 11 and then switch to water. Um, I find this is not only for just like the hydration and the coffee, like caffeine, but just I find if I need a second to formulate my thoughts, I can take a sip of whatever I'm holding. So that is actually why I always have a drink. So that's a little secret. Um, it's a great strategy instead of being like, ah, just take a sip of water. Um, <laughs> do you drink coffee or water in your sessions? I drink a lot of water. I drink like half my body weight in water a day. I used to drink tea, but lately just been water. Oh, good. Well, that's good for you. That's awesome. Um, and then the second thing is visuals. Um, big fan of visuals for my little guys. Um, I have fancy visuals that are like laminated and color coded. And then I have some that you just make up on the fly that you didn't know you needed. Right. So um, either with a pen and a, or a dry erase marker and a whiteboard or just a pen and a paper. So really important for me. And, and then a pen and paper because you can, I feel like I could do therapy with just a pen and paper if I had to. So yeah. for sure. I love it. Those are very essential coffee, pen and paper. <laughs> and the second one was visuals, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So what do you enjoy doing outside of work? I like to read. I read a lot. I don't read anything intellectual at all. So mm -hmm. a lot of like chiclet and, and um, like suspense books. So currently I'm reading, it's called The Family next door and it's quite good um i like watching my kids play sports which is funny because i always swore like if you told me i was going to marry an engineer hockey player and have two boys that play hockey i would have laughed in your face but here we are i now know everything about well not everything but i know a lot more about hockey than i ever thought i would so um really like doing that and i am a big fan of sleeping big oh, fan yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me and you, we could have like a sleeping party. I actually took a, like a two hour nap yesterday. It was so nice. <laughs> yes, naps are the best. Yeah, I actually read something that it's like a 10 minute nap can increase your productivity by like twice as much or something. It's crazy. That is crazy. I wish I could fall asleep fast enough to have mm -hmm. a 10 minute nap. That's the only problem. That's well, I fell asleep once on the transit bus to university standing up. 
Like I can. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I can. Yeah. Like I was so tired from exams. I was like holding the, you know, like holding things so you don't fall. Yeah. I just fell asleep and missed my stops. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> so let's wrap up with one piece of advice you would tell your younger self. Is learn to say no and learn to say no fast. Um, I have found this to be the best piece of a, like the best piece of advice that I could have given myself. I am a chronic people pleaser. And I was, I found that I was saying yes to everyone and giving everyone 20%. So I was really good at saying yes, but not really good at doing a good job with following through. So now I only say yes to things that I actually want to do because then I find I can do a really good job at that. And I also find people don't take you for granted as much. <laughs> um, and I feel like my mental health is much better because I'm not being pulled 500 different ways. Um, as a new clinician, especially, I, I think I wanted to do all the things, right? I remember being like, I have to do 25 assessments this week and do these sessions. And it was crazy. Like, I burnt out so fast and I didn't do it. And then I was just grumpy all the time. So yeah, learn to say no. Only say yes to things that you actually want to do. I mean, obviously when it's optional, sometimes you don't have the choice, but say no. <laughs> That's such a good piece of advice. Let being honest though, like, do you feel people get upset at you when you say no? Do you care? Like, how do you deal with that? Because inevitably people are going to be upset or if you're a chronic people pleaser, like you're going to worry that people are being upset. Right. Um, I think that the people that I'm close with, know me well enough to know that it causes me a lot of stress and anxiety to do everything. So they're, they're fine. Like my family is okay. When I say no, um, I've actually just kind of stopped caring what people think to an ex to an extent. I mean, I still am a people pleaser, but I explained to them, like, I can't do that because I already am doing this, this and this and this and this. It's not because I don't necessarily want to right now. I just, I just can't. I'm one person. Uh, the people that I do care about, I kind of have like a core three, right? Like my best friend, my immediate family and my parents. Otherwise, I don't care as much. Sorry. <laughs> I know that sounds really bad, but. No, that's good. That's and I'm sure over time, stop <laughs> caring. I like how you give like, I can't do this and this is why you know, not rather than like just saying no. I think that if you're working in like a team environment, if a lot of people are taking on things and you know it's too much for them, but they're still taking it on, I feel like it can make you feel guilty like that you're not, you're not also putting in the effort, but you know it'll really tax your body. It'll make you really stressed out and you're already doing so much. But I love that you're like, I can't help with that, but this is why. Right. And I mean, and I really do try if I can. I don't say no all the time right um I wouldn't just say no I don't want to I have nothing I'm actually going to sit <laughs> on the couch and watch Netflix for seven days but you know what if that's what you need though then maybe that's what you need like I can't do this because I work full-time and I have kids that are in sports and I have to take care of my family I don't have time to take a ballet class with you or whatever it may be I don't know I just made that up no one's ever asked me to do ballet that would be something <laughs> but <laughs> I love it so <laughs> Where can everybody find and connect with you if they're not already? So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Anna D S L P. So D E E. Perfect. Yeah. Any dots in between those? 
uh, oh yes, sorry, anna.d.slp. Yes, thank you. No worries. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This has been so awesome, and I look forward to following along on your journey. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me.